All right. Well, it's good to see everyone. Welcome to church tonight. Um, Waterworks on Friday night was so much fun. We did have a really good night. Uh, I kept challenging the little guys to races down the water slides. Um, I kept on challenging them to, to water slide races, and I was undefeated the whole night. It turns out if you weigh four times what they weigh, you've got a distinct advantage at beating the year four kids. So it was a lot of fun. Um, so glad all the young guys got away for the weekend as well. Um, if you're not in the loop with what's happening with young adults, make sure you get on the WhatsApp because we don't want you missing out on weekends away and all the fun. So um, speak to Clates or Lani um, or some of the guys and they will keep you in the loop with what's happening. Good. It is good to be here. Thank you, Josh, for leading us tonight, mate. Thanks for coming back. And that's powerful. Yeah. Oh, man. You got Charlie's blessing. There you go. When you got Charlie's blessing, you've made it. He's good. Powerful man of the good Lord. All right. Well, it's been a big year. It's been a good year. Um, what's happened this year? Well, um, Seen people come to faith. We've had baptisms. We baptized Hope earlier in the year and Trish and uh, Cornelius this morning. We had the weekend away for our 10th anniversary. We said some farewells at the start of the year. We kind of welcomed in lots of new people, which has been great. We've had weddings. Wedding on Friday. Can't wait. Anyone else get married this year? No, I feel like I did a lot of weddings this year. They're not, they're not here tonight. Babies have been born. And we've had um, 18 babies born in the last 18 months. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. So no pressure, guys. Um, <laughs> but it's just been, it's just been a good year. And um, I've got a bit of a throat thing, so if I sound like Darth Vader tonight, sorry about that. But it's community. It's doing life together. And that's what the church is all about. Uh, celebrating so much good stuff. Uh, but also as a community, celebrating, the th- or not celebrating, but doing life together through the hard stuff. Uh, in the midst of community and friendship, we experience grief and struggles and pain. And again, we do that together. Um, you know, talking of weddings, we took Ollie and Katie's wedding, was it three, four weeks ago in Ugaura? And then a week and a half ago, um, Ollie's parents' farm, where the, where the wedding was, got completely washed away in the floods. And so, you know, that's, that's such heartbreaking stuff, right? But that's what it means to be part of a church. And um, we've sent them a, a big financial gift to try and get back on their feet. But we're called to faithfulness, aren't we? We're called to faithfulness. Through the incredibly good stuff that we get to do and the incredibly hard stuff. Cass Matthews, one of the, um, the mums from the morning service, suggested in 2019 that I do a sermon summarising all that we had learned that year, which I did in 2019. Uh, that year we did the book of Proverbs on wisdom and we did uh, the book of Revelation and then not long later in 2020 the whole world turned a bit book of Revelation (laughs) what I learned the last two years basically I can summarise COVID sucks and online church is not the future (laughs) this is so much better right to be kind of this together as a community so back to this year, you know, despite some limitations, a bit of mask wearing at the start of the year, we've basically had a good run of it this year. And it's been great to see what God's done in our midst. 
So question, what, what have we done this year? Can anyone remember the two big series that we've done this year? Go on. Holy Spirit. People said Ephesians this morning as well. That was the year before. There's obviously some Sermon on the Mount. Jonah, that's why I reckon Jonah's got elder written all over him, doesn't he? Just start coming to boring meetings and just be, bring your wisdom. <laughs> you look so unimpressed right now. <laughs> In fairness, sometimes by Tuesday, I have forgotten what I preached on the last Sunday. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons I want to encourage you to get into life groups because in life groups you then open up the word of God from what you looked at that Sunday and that gets the word of God in deep into you. So make sure you join a life group last year. But two major series, one called What Did Jesus Teach on the Sermon on the Mount and then one of the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. How do you summarise that? Maybe something like this is what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. And then how to get empowered to live that kind of life, right? These very high ethical ideals to which Jesus calls us. So the Sermon on the Mount is this kind of amazing three chapters of Jesus' teaching uh, in the book of Matthew. And in it, he kind of presents what life looks like as a child of God, as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And one of my favorite sermons this year is when I just read the whole Sermon on the Mount, all glorious 15 minutes of it. Love that week because my preparation time was rather short. Just, but it was kind of powerful just hearing Jesus' words read in full. We get this radical, upside-down life that followers of Jesus are called to live. And at the end of the sermon, he says, those who put my words into practice are like wise people who build their lives or their house on solid rock. And the idea being is that there's going to be storms that come and hit all of our lives. Um, for some of us, it's, it's literal. But storms that come and hit our lives. And so the encouragement from Jesus is build your life wisely so that it won't come crashing down. I remember one of the things we said was when you're in the midst of a storm, that's too late to start building. You know, you've got to put your foundations, as young people, a lot of you are, put them down now solidly on the rock of Christ so that when the hard stuff comes, you've got Jesus' words living in you deeply to help you endure. So, so much gold in the Sermon on the Mount. The blessed life described in the Beatitudes. The call to love our enemies. Forgive those who sin against us. To be people who seek first the kingdom of God. Then we did the Holy Spirit series where we looked at different ways that God's presence comes to empower the Christ in us life of you and me and in the church. And I thought that was such a good series. I mean, Lani preached so well in that. Because not only did we learn about the Holy Spirit, but we got so many opportunities to receive and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then to give things a go, right? To actually get a go at praying for someone else, to ask God for an encouragement or a word or a prophetic thing, and uh, to use our gifts. And when we get filled with the love of God, Romans 5, then, you know, we go and love people well. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us. You know, I just I remember there was a moment at one of the worship nights, I looked across and there was people giving prophetic words and someone else was being prayed for for being healed and God was touching people's lives. I just thought, happy pastor. You know, happy pastor. Because one of the things that our Baptists 
That's what we are, we're Baptists. Have always got on about is the priesthood of all believers. Right? Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to have a go in the church. You know, it's not just some super anointed guy in a white suit. But as we get filled with the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we can minister to one another. You can do it. You know, you get empowered by God. So there you go, Seven on the Mount, Holy Spirit. If this is your first time at Manly Life, you've just caught up on the entire year. So you didn't come all those weeks. No, you did. Be good, be filled with God. Something like that. All right, well, this morning we baptised Cornelius. Uh, right after the service finished, we headed out there, we baptised Cornelius. And uh, for Victoria and I, there's no greater joy than seeing people put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Saviour. This year we also baptised Hope and Trish earlier in the year. I'd just love to be baptising more, guys. If you haven't been baptised, you've got to get baptised. You know, it's, it's one of the sacraments that Jesus wants us to do. And as we become believers in Christ, that we publicly have this moment. And, um, you know, Jesus, of course, was baptised in the early church when someone heard the good news of the gospel and responded. They were baptised. And what it symbolises is you go under the water and that kind of signifies Jesus' death and burial and all that his death has achieved. And then rising out of the water kind of signifies his resurrection and new life. So when we get baptised, it's like we're dying to the old self and being raised into new life. So I really just encourage you, get, get, get baptised. If you don't want to do it tonight, let's do it soon. So for Cornelius this morning, he put his trust in Jesus as Lord. And I love that word Lord. You know, we learned a little bit about it last week. In the ancient world, who was Lord? Caesar. And Caesar alone. And that was the Roman Empire who ruled huge swathes of the ancient world. And many were sovereign. I mean, he was the one that was alone in control. Indeed, he was seen as a god on earth. If you go to the British Museum, because they stole a whole bunch of stuff, you can find coins that have pictures of Caesar, where it says, Caesar is Lord. That was the currency. It meant you're under his jurisdiction, his rules for living, his kingdom. If you want to live in Rome as a citizen of the empire, you follow Caesar. So in our Sermon on the Mount series, we saw this is what it looks like to follow an entirely different king. And that's always been the confession that we make as Christians to become a child of God. You know, that's the confession of Thomas when he first encounters the risen Jesus. He just says, my Lord and my God. You know, in the book of Acts, the most basic confession signifying someone who's a Christian. Uh, Peter, in that cracking first sermon in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people. Cut to the heart. They say, what should we do? And it says, believe, get baptised. And then it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Right? So that's what we asked Cornelius this morning, just before he went down under. Cornelius, is Jesus your Lord? you turn from sin? Do you want to live the Christian life? I do, I do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bam! And then up he comes. And there's such joy in that moment because he now belongs to Christ. And it's a big call. 
So I'll like change you from Coke to Pepsi or short boards to long boards. You are making a call about who your king is. You know? This is whom you're going to serve. This is the main hope, the main shape, and the main authority in your life. You know, and in doing so much of New Testament, Jesus is here. Hopefully you've seen that that's actually a demanding message. Because our tendency is, you know, we're so desperate to get people to come to church and to be Christians. Sometimes we set the bar so low for following Jesus to make it as palatable as possible. Sometimes I think we get confused. We think our mission is to make Jesus popular so that people will like him. You know, it's okay to be cool and Christian because Jesus is cool. Justin Bieber's a Christian. You know, it's like, okay, good for Justin. You know, and of course we're saved by grace, right? I mean, you know, everything about your faith is a gift. It's what God has done for you. It's not about our own moral uprightness. But sometimes in our desire to make the faith accessible, we set the bar so low for what trusting and following Jesus looks like. And the result, of course, is that Christians become basically indistinguishable from the rest of the world. In other words, who your Lord is would be hard to tell. And that's a good question. Are you shaping the world around you for Christ? Or are you still just being shaped by the world around you? You know, a technical term for that is syncretism. It's where you basically adopt the values and the worldview and the culture and the beliefs of this, the world you live in, and you mix them in with the Christianity. And it's kind of a bit of a pick and mix and what kind of works for you. But you know, fish that swim against the tide, you know, they're the ones that are alive, but the dead ones, they're the ones that just float with the stream. And we're tired to go up against the stream. So your faith should be making a difference. You should be being set apart. In the spirit of setting the bar nice and low, here are some things Jesus never said. John 8, to the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and lead a very sinful life. Right? Then there's a time Jesus didn't teach us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now give me what I want. Give me, give me, give me. Or my favourite, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice when it suits them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not it. It's demanding stuff. So what we have learned from Jesus is this is how it looks to live well in the kingdom of heaven. And that's my charge to Cornelius this morning and to all those who get baptised. Come to this Jesus as Lord and then live life well and empowered in his kingdom. And if you do, you're going to get turned upside down, but find yourself actually right side up. You'll have your heart reorientated towards good. You'll learn a solid foundation that will help you to endure the hard storms of life. So the establishing of the kingdom of God was Jesus' main focus. Do a word search. This is just Luke's gospel alone. Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is here. He said, the kingdom is within you. He said, go and proclaim the kingdom. He said, heal the sick and tell them about the kingdom of God coming near. He said, to pray our father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. He said, your kingdom has come upon you. He said, seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. 
When they asked him what's the kingdom of God like, he said it was like a mustard seed. It was like yeast. He said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom. He said, the good news of the kingdom is being preached. He said, know that the kingdom of God is near. He said, I confer upon you a kingdom. Jesus said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief said that. Right? That's all just Luke's gospel. His message is that the kingdom had arrived. And yeah, I know we get sometimes, we love to debate little side matters in Christianity, but the key is keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus' main thing was that the kingdom of God was being initiated on earth and you too could now become a citizen of the living God if you align your life with his. Mark 1.14 in the NIV, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news. Dallas Willard paraphrases that verse. He says, says it like this. Jesus came into Galilee announcing the good news from God. He said all the preliminaries have been taken care of, he said. The rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. That's what we're called to do. To base our lives on this remarkable new opportunity that's been opened up by Jesus. So what is it? What is the remarkable opportunity? Going on one of my favourite films is the, um, the Back to the Future films. Michael J. Fox, anyone? Anyone? Anyone born in the 80s? Great time. Come on, Dad. Good films. Uh, if you haven't seen, let me ruin it for you. <laughs> the protagonist in number two, it's a guy called Biff Tannen. Remember Biff? Biff steals the time machine and he goes to the future and then when he comes back, he gives to his younger self this book of sporting statistics from the last 50 years. And as a result, his younger self is able to amass this massive gambling fortune, become the wealthiest man on earth. And he turns idyllic Hill Valley into a living hell. But Biff brings back something from the future and it changes the present for everyone. So what's Jesus doing in initiating the kingdom of God? What Jesus does is, instead of using it to bring back a bad future, what Jesus does is he brings God's good future where everything will be healed and restored and made whole and reconciled and he brings it into the presence, present by announcing the kingdom has come close and near in him. The kingdom was this future hope Israel had where God would heal the sick, suffering would end, forgiveness and grace would be poured out. Basically, it is heaven. So what's God doing in sending his son, Jesus? God is sending his son to release that future into our world right now. Does that make sense? That's why when he taught us to pray, how does he teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, let your kingdom come. Right? Lord, more of that future reality break in right now here upon earth, in my life, around me, in my family, in my community. I sound like Marge Simpson here tonight. (laughs) But that's our prayer, right? God, release the future restoration in the here and now. Let this kingdom where your rule is perfect come here in our broken world today. So that's the remarkable new opportunity. Live under God's future rule right now. 
Don't just do whatever you want to do, selfishly following your own whims and desires. Align yourself with the kingdom of God. Don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Right? Isn't that the worst place to be? You know, if you try to live in the world and in the kingdom, you get the benefit of neither. <laughs> and it's just a nightmare. So commit your heart to Jesus. Follow him wholeheartedly. Jesus spills the future out into people. The restoration at the end breaks into the now. We watch it tip out on people in the Gospels. That's not a bad way to read the Gospels. This is future restoration happening now. The woman caught in adultery, she receives grace and truth. To the lame, get up and walk. To the blind, open your eyes and see. To the lost and broken, your sins are forgiven. And the ethics of the kingdom of God. Love your neighbour. Forgive those who sin against you. But get on it. Get in on it. He said the way to do it is we need to repent and believe. It might all sound like good news, but the, the truth is we've got to repent. And that involves a turning from how we're living our lives to an orientation to how God wants us to live our lives. I know a good definition of sin. It's just the gap between how our lives are and how God has created us to live our lives. That's just sin. I remember when I came to follow Jesus, there was this conviction. My life is not as it should be. Right? I wasn't treating people the way that I should treat people. I was living for myself. I was easily swayed. My life was out of sync with God's intention for it. So the clearest sign that you have repented is that your lives then begin to line up with the kingdom. You know, sorry is easy, but turning your whole life in a new direction, that's the challenge. You know, 20 years ago when I was a corporate titan, <laughs> I used to live in London, had a full head of hair, used to wear very sharp, baggy suits. <laughs> baggy suits were the go back then. The baggier, the better, and the bigger the tie. If you wear a big tie, you're important. <laughs> But I used to often travel from London to like Switzerland for the day and I'd come back that night and be back at my church leading Alpha or something. It was kind of a crazy life. But I remember uh, I was in Geneva once doing work for Procter & Gamble and I was driving to my hotel and it was meant to be about five minutes down the road. I was driving for about 20, 25 minutes. I knew I was in trouble when I saw a big sign that said, Welcome to France. <laughs> you know. And at that stage, saying sorry or feeling bad about going in the wrong direction is not going to help. It's a good thing to do, but you've got to turn around. You've got to get in the right direction. You've got to get the right map to follow. So to follow Jesus, it is to say sorry, but it's to embrace the direction of God's will for our lives. When this gospel gets hold of us, we cannot help but change. The more we learn, the more God is at work in our lives, the more we'll want to reorient our lives towards Jesus. Do you find that desire growing in you? You know, I don't want to just follow the world. I want to, I want to live for Christ and Christ alone. I wonder if you need to do that today to believe, to turn around. And then finally, 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 we spend the rest of our lives working out what citizenship in heaven means. That's such a great adventure. That's just the best part of being a Christian. 
come to believe he's Lord, we've turned from our sin, and then we become the children of God who take on the family likeness. Ephesians 2 says this, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're now fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. So you're a citizen of the kingdom. You're a member of the household. That's such a beautiful place to be. And that citizenship is the best passport you'll ever have. It's becoming a citizen of heaven. It's a citizen in a new kingdom with a new king. So what does Paul say in Philippians? He just encourages us as citizens of heaven. He says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Isn't that cool? Just live your life worthy of all that you've received. And you'll be heading in the right direction. So to all of us, to Cornelius this morning, when the gospel gets hold of your life, remarkable things are going to begin to happen. doesn't mean life just becomes easy. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus said you're blessed when you're persecuted for his sake and for living righteously. doesn't mean we're going to see the fullness of that future kingdom all now, all the time. We want to see more of it, but we fully see it at the end of time. But it does mean God is now alive in you. He's changing your character, forgiving your sins, giving you purpose. He's pouring that future hope into your lives now. And that, friends, is our year in review. (laughs) Amen. Let's stand.